0: Welcome to Earth Voice. I'm your host, Elizabeth-Claire Alberts.
1: I feel like every day I've done something tangible.
0: There is no one who's going to fight for these animals. They have to be protected. And you can make positive
1: change happen.
0: And it's time to speak up.
1: You are those animals' hope.
0: This first episode of Earth Voice will take you to Cape Town, South Africa, where a team of animal lovers sacrifice their time, money, and even their personal safety to care for dogs and cats in the city's poorest communities. We'll hear from Rosie Kaneka, co-founder of Tin Can Town, a local animal welfare group, as well as several volunteers. So sit back and listen, and let me take you there. On May 15th of 2016, I found myself standing in a vet clinic in Cape Town, South Africa. A sick puppy lay on the exam table, and the woman beside me, Rosie Kaneka, was crying. She knew the puppy was going to die, and she was doing her best to soothe him. Good boy. This puppy didn't actually belong to Rosie. In fact, it wasn't clear if he belonged to anybody. Earlier that day, someone had handed the puppy to her when she and a group of other animal rescuers were visiting Delft, a township in Cape Town, where some of South Africa's poorest people live. Within Delft, there's a relocation camp called Blikistorp, where people live in tiny shacks made out of corrugated iron and old tires, and several families have to share basic utilities like sinks and toilets. Gang violence is prevalent in Bleakestorp, making it a very dangerous place to live. Bleakestorp is actually meant to be a temporary camp where people live until the government finds them more adequate housing, yet most people have been living and suffering here for years. But it isn't just people who live difficult lives in Bleakestorp. Domestic animals like dogs and cats suffer as well. In response, Rosie and a few friends founded Tin Can Town, an organization that provides food and basic vet care for the local animals. I was a freelance journalist at the time, and I traveled to Cape Town to spend time with Rosie and two of her co-workers in Tin Can Town, Danielle Stockett and Clorina Hanecombe. I was impressed by the passion and determination of these three women, who made big sacrifices to care for animals in Bleakestorp. Not only did they give up their free time, they also spent a lot of their own money to pay vet bills. I was also surprised to learn that Rosie had given up a successful career to help animals on a full-time basis.
1: I used to be in the financial industry and I've always loved animals and I always wanted to work with them. And then I watched uh, the documentary The Cove and I was watching and I was thinking, you know, any good person can't see this and not
0: try and do something about it. Rosie is talking about The Cove, a film about the dolphin slaughter that takes place in Taiji, Japan each year. Local fishermen in Taiji take boats into the open ocean and round up pods of wild dolphins. Once the fishermen trap the dolphins, they drive them into the cove and slaughter these families for their meat. Hundreds of dolphins are killed there every year, sometimes over a thousand. When Rosie watched the cove, she was deeply affected.
1: So the next day I did a lot of research on the relationship between humans and animals and I was horrified as to how animals are being exploited by humans and that same day I turned vegan and um, since then my life hasn't been the same. I sold my my Mini Cooper, I resigned my job and since then I've just been doing volunteer work for places like Sea Shepherd. I'm working with the animals in the township and that's five years now so...
0: Besides helping dogs in South Africa, Rosie got involved with Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, an organization that works to protect marine animals. Rosie's work with Sea Shepherd actually took her to Taiji, Japan, the same place featured in the cove. She's also been to the Faroe Islands, a remote archipelago north of Denmark, to try and stop the killing of pilot whales. And she's been to Antarctica to try and stop the Japanese from killing hundreds of whales in the Southern Ocean. But no matter how far Rosie's traveled, she's never forgotten about the animals in her home country. And she realized that it was the dogs and cats living in Blicestorp who needed her help the most.
1: All the animals are in a horrific condition. All of them has mange, extremely skinny. And I'll never forget um, the first Sunday we went in. It was a really rainy Sunday and we had eight kilogram of dog food and four mange and tick and flea treatments. And we realized that this is... This is humongous. These animals are struggling.
0: Rosie and the team at Tin Can Town make regular visits to Bleakestorp, setting up a makeshift clinic every other Sunday. They offer free vaccinations, deworming treatments and food, and taxi animals back and forth from the vet. For many of the animals, these services are life-saving. But this work can be emotionally draining. Rosie describes it as overwhelming. So overwhelming is a right word but I
1: don't think overwhelming in the sense of you can't do this, it's more an overwhelming sadness of uh, the animals, the condition these animals have to, have to live in. Especially in the beginning days when those people had no help with their animals and you would see horrific cases and you will get a overwhelming sadness and desire to help these animals.
0: Rosie and her friends are so determined to help the animals in Bleckisdorp that they often put their own lives at risk.
1: We do have a very high crime rate and Bleckisdorp is um, noted as one of the most dangerous um, informal settlements in Cape Town. So you do have an apprehension going in there on your own for girls going into a very dangerous area where normal Girls won't think of dream of going in. You need to be aware of your surroundings, especially because it's a dangerous area. Our families, especially, would always question us going into a very dangerous area and um, would get very angry at us, especially if we go there at night. I've always said what I, whatever I'm going through is not a match to what that animal has to endure at that moment.
0: The main danger in Bleakishdorp is gang violence and Rosie and her team have had some close calls. Sometimes
1: when you're in one part, you will hear some um, gunfire in a different part. Then you know, OK, the gangs might be at it again. Then normally we would just finish what we're busy with and leave. About three weeks ago, um, Clarina and two girls that were helping her were almost caught in the middle of a gang fight.
0: Thankfully, Clarina and the girls got out safely, but Rosie explained that there are never any guarantees during another outreach day, the Tin Can Town team even witnessed a kidnapping.
1: Uh, we saw a car driving in, and the next moment there were uh, gunshots, and they hijacked, hijack- um, uh, they kidnapped the guy from that house. And they were driving out, and people were screaming. So we immediately let
0: the, um, the volunteers, told the volunteers to rather leave the area. But none of this has stopped Rosie and the others from going into Dorp to help animals. Rosie explains that the community members in Liekesdorp have become their protection, but it's taken a while for them to gain the community's trust.
1: That had, was something that we had to build from the beginning. We were They were very distrusting of us in the beginning, but I think it stems from a few things, not just um, us being um, white girls in a predominantly black and coloured environment. It also stems from existing animal organisations that... Um, that is supposed to help them in that area, but is not helping them, and they just come in, take the animal, and never take the animal back, or they, they euthanize the animal, or they ask money of the people. So we had to work hard with the community to say, listen, we are not in the business of killing animals, we're in the business of helping them, so we will do everything in our power, and we're very pro-life to do absolutely everything, anything, everything we can to save that animal's life.
0: Rosie says she feels safe going into Bleakishdorp now, despite the ever-present dangers. But it's still an incredibly intense experience. And on May 15th of 2016, I got to experience Bleakischdorp for myself. Early in the morning, Rosie and Danielle picked me up on their Land Rover from my hostel in Cape Town and we drove about half an hour to Vliekestorp. It wasn't a Sunday, which meant they weren't going to have an outreach stall, but they still had to pick up several dogs and take them to the vet. Nothing really prepared me for what I saw. The blocks of tiny shacks made out of tin metal scraps, the dusty dirt roads, the music blasting from boom boxes, the urgent voices, the school-aged girls bouncing babies on their hips. And of course, there were the animals. In Bleekestorp lots of people kept pets, but many dogs and cats here looked skinny and underfed, and many resorted to eating food scraps and garbage heaps. One of you mentioned the B block now. Which one? Which uh, stop was that? Uh, F33. okay, so B65, which is Noxie, the black and tan one at the bottom in the left-hand corner, and then I76 Spotty, which is the one, the Jack Russell 10 that we have the deep deep neckline incision and then 84 That's Greg one of the volunteers working with Rosie Danielle and Clarina that day We've stopped in the middle of a dirt road and they're trying to figure out which homes they need to visit which are numbered in rows and which dogs and cats need to be taken to the vet One of our first stops is to check on Tiger a dog who somehow broke his tail
1: Sunday, The tip of his tail they say it's because he wags it against it is because I know how Khaleesi can wear a good tail. So the tip was like there was a piece so off. So
0: which block is he in? Just
1: Tiger. across from JCY, okay. K block. So um, I just want to check in on his tail because I told him to take off the bandage after three or four days. But if they didn't and he didn't manage to get it off himself, it's going to start rot underneath that bandage. So we're just going to we can just quickly stop and check. And we go
0: when we get there. Rosie and the team are delighted to find that Tiger's owners did take the bandage off and his tail's healing well. So we hop back into the car and drive to the next place. While many of the dogs and cats appeared sick or injured or hungry, most do have owners who care for them, despite the fact that the owners have few resources to care for themselves. But some people in Bleekestorp are not so kind to animals. Rosie explained that it's common for people to take out their frustrations on animals.
1: And also if they have like quarrels between um, neighbors, what they then like doing is um, burn the animals with um, hot oil or water. Many a times you will see like the little puppy you saw this morning, in a very line down the back they will burn the animal with... Um, once we had a dark here that um, somebody cut open the leg, literally broke, broke the leg and um, just to get back at the owners So yeah, sometimes when it's, when they're drunk or there's a lot of drugs involved and they have fights between each other, they take it out on the dog.
0: After one of our stops, Rosie and Danielle urged me to hurry back into the car and we quickly drive off. Once we're on the road, they explain that someone tipped them off about a possible threat. Who told you, who warned you? Um, One of the
1: guys that came to speak to Clarina, one of the women. And that's when Clarina showed me we have to wrap it up. Of um, course, you know, those, those blocks are notorious for the gangsterism and high crime rate. So some of them might always try and take a chance to, to rob or get something, So and you just move along as swiftly as possible. While
0: well, this incident certainly got my adrenaline pumping, something else happened that was much more intense. At another stop a man approached Rosie and thrusts a sick puppy into her arms. The man explained that the puppy's sibling had already died, and Rosie and Clarina tried to figure out what to do. Um, this puppy is extremely sick. I can see that. No, he's giving it to that dog. So what are we going to do?
1: How long has he been vomiting?
0: The other puppy is dead already. Oh, goodness, then we can't wait. The puppy, they suspected, had parvovirus, or parvo, a contagious viral disease that attacks a dog's white blood cells. It can cause severe vomiting, dehydration, and loss of appetite. Left untreated, Parvo is almost always fatal. So Rosie, Clarina, and Danielle decided to immediately take the dog to the emergency vet clinic, even though doing so would be expensive. We arrived at the clinic and waited for our turn to see the vet. Yet Danielle feared it was too late for this puppy and she held back tears in the waiting room. I don't know, I think I'm just mum. We see this all too often and it's unnecessary because we're all there. We're all there every other day. We're there on Tuesdays, we're there on Thursdays, we're there every second Sunday, so this is unnecessary. When the vet calls us into the exam room and looks at the puppy, he confirms our worst fears. The puppy has parvo, and he's not optimistic about his recovery.
1: Clinically, there's enough for me to say that this is end stage. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I would not offer treatment, even if this is negative. You
0: know, but if it it's no, positive, this, at least then you can be sure of what He's you, already you're doing. twitching. I can feel yeah. the twitches on that yeah. side, and you can. Since late-stage Parvo has no cure, Rosie and Danielle make the difficult decision to euthanize him. For Rosie in particular, this is a very difficult choice. Like Diana
1: said, it's so unnecessary. I you know, we've done this many times, but it never gets easier, never.
0: You can see what he looks like. And,
1: and we always try to be especially Clarina because she might do uh, most of the veterans, So we, we stay with him till the end and just try and give as much love that we can.
0: One of the last things Rosie does is give the puppy a name, which is something he may have never had. She named him gorgeous. That's a good boy. His name is nice. Gorgeous. Yeah, we named him Gorgeous. Because he's absolutely gorgeous. As Rosie and Danielle stroke Gorgeous, the vet prepares the dog for euthanasia by shaving a patch of fur from his front leg. Then, he gently administers the drug with a needle through his vein. Rosie and Danielle never leave the puppy's side. Yep. As Rosie and Danielle wipe tears from their eyes, I can hardly keep my own tears in. This is actually the first time I've seen this. No, it's... I mean, I've been with animals when yeah. they've died, but not... Yeah. I've never it's seen them um, put to sleep. Oh. It's very confronting. It's very. And,
1: you know, all you can do is to just hold them and... Yeah. Just give them a bit of love. But that... It's no normal alone. But you can see. You never get any food. Look at that. You can literally see every bone in his body. <laughs>
0: That's why I I hate that. (sighs) Twitches. Watching Gorgeous die on the exam table leaves me sad and emotionally drained. Yet Rosie and Danielle have to deal with these experiences all the time. I wanted to know what motivated them to keep going. Rosie admitted that it wasn't always easy.
1: The most challenging part for me, emotionally, is the extreme, extreme abuse and cruelty we sometimes have to deal with. Um, Sometimes you you drive to Blackistorp and and all you're thinking in your mind is that whatever I encountered now, I I have to stay calm because I need to get that animal to hospital. Um, Or sometimes you get there and it just... You get totally th- thrown off guard by animals' legs being cut off or eyes being poked out. So the emotional part of seeing these animals and just having to imagine what they had to endure at the hands of humans, is it's, it's tough sometimes.
0: Yet Rosie keeps going. She has to keep going, she tells me.
1: Yeah, I have to be honest, sometimes you feel like you're, you're swimming against this big wave and you're just not getting anywhere and um, your vet bills is running high and, but, and the three of us always laugh at each other, we're like, we don't have any money, it's, it, what are we going to do? And the next phone call comes in, you're like, okay, we're taking you to the after hours clinic, we'll worry about the money later, we'll, let's just help the animal. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that keeps you going, knowing that you are actually the only help that animal has. So if you give up, there's literally no hope for those animals. So it doesn't matter how hard you have to work or what you have to endure. You are those animals' hope. And they're only hope.
0: Gorgeous may have died, But Rosie and the Tin Can Town team have saved many, many lives. Rosie tells me about saving a dog named Blackie, who had a very slim chance of surviving.
1: He was probably about five months old at that stage, and he was hit by a car, and he broke his pelvis in three places, and he broke both his femur heads on both the hind legs, and Many vets were telling us it's going to be costly, it's operations, and um, it's going to be a lengthy recovery, and it's going to cost you money.
0: Yet Rosie and the team, who proudly state that they're very pro-life, refused to give up on Blackie. They paid for his operation and put him through physical therapy.
1: And the dog had such zest for life. He was dragging himself because he couldn't get up. He was dragging himself behind, and and we were just saying, well... There's just the proof that we've made the right decision to ask them to go ahead and remove the femur heads and then six weeks cage rest. and. Then to see him standing up for the first time and he just had such a zest for life that he just wants to run and play and he couldn't, he was dragging himself and now he was starting to stand up and then we took him for hydrotherapy. The first time in the underwater treadmill he actually started moving his legs and how he started with small little jumps and today he's a running happy
0: dog. Rosie has also seen changes in how people in Blicestorp treat their animals. Instead of letting them suffer from medical issues, the community now turns to Tin Can Town for help and advice.
1: When we started there, Every animal that you would see would have severe mange or would be so skinny. Now you see dogs, we rarely see mange cases anymore. We have seen such a big decline in cases like Parvo. In the beginning, we had to put down between 7 and 10 animals in a week because of distemper. Now we rarely get distemper, maybe one or twice in a month. It's because we're vaccinating. So you can see the changes in that, and that is the reward, to know that... Those animals are living a better life.
0: Rosie and her team already do so much for the animals in Bleekersdorp, But Rosie is constantly wanting to do more. And after meeting her, I'm sure that she will.
1: I would love Tenkan Town to service an area much, much, much bigger than where we are now. To have hundreds of volunteers that come in with us every second Sunday. And we just improve these animals' lives. That's, that, that's my dream.
0: If you'd like to help animals in Bleekestorp, you can make a donation to Tin Can Town. You'll find their website on Earth Voices' Facebook page. A huge thank you to Rosie Kanaka, Danielle Stockett, and Clarina Hanukum for their help in making this audio story. I'd also like to thank the many people who have supported this project, including Dominique Toubierre, Jessica Grunendak, Lynn McCall, Russell and Beverly Lamb from Eco Down Under in Sydney, Australia. Last but not least, a big thank you to Jacob Round and Shannon Burrows, whose help and assistance have been immeasurable to this project.